Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Today I'm talking about immunity, who completes me? And we look for our identity in so many things in life. Sometimes we look for identity in our businesses. Sometimes we look for identity in relationships. Sometimes we look for identity in our careers. Sometimes we look for identity in our friendships. We look for these things to complete us. But none of those things actually give us our identity. None of those things complete us in, in, the, in the most essential parts of our being. And I was, as I was reading this last few weeks, I was reading of one of the great prophets in the Bible that uh, went through a crisis similar to this type of crisis. And it, it left him in a, in a place where he wanted to die. And it's, it's interesting because the, the prophet's name is Elijah. Now, most of us have heard of Elijah. He's kind of a famous dude. He's done some great things uh, in the scriptures. As you, as you read his life, it's pretty, there's some pretty monumental events. In fact, I'm going to just briefly summarize one of his. Uh, you can read the full story this, this week or after church in 1 Kings chapter 18. But uh, Elijah, he takes on the enemy. The, the prophets of Baal, and he, he, challenges them, he challenges them to a duel. Now, Israel was not following or not walking in the ways of God in this time. And so he, you know, Elijah, he is like the, the classic type one personality. I'm taking charge. And I, I will not just challenge one of your prophets to a one-on-one -on -one duel. He challenges all of them at the same time, to a duel of the gods. And so he, he, challenged, he challenged, he said, we're going to meet on the mountain, and we're going to build altars, and the God who answers by fire is the winner. And so he says, uh, I, I believe it was, there was two, no, 800. There was 800 prophets of Baal that were all on the top of this mountain, and they, they had built their altar, they had placed their sacrifice on the altar, and then they start calling on their God to answer with fire. And Elijah, he's not just sitting there going, oh, I hope nothing happens. Elijah, he's, he's like, yell louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. Like, Elijah, is, he's, he's bringing his A-game to the top of the mountain. And then finally, they just, they give up. They can't do anything. So Elijah builds his altar. And when he, he gets the, the altar built, he says, now dig a trench around my altar. And so they dig a trench around the altar. He says, now go get buckets and buckets of water. And they take the buckets and he says, soak it all. Soak it. Just pour the water. They said they, they soaked it to the place that the water was running out of the trench. And then Elijah calls on God and a stream of fire falls from heaven and burns up the entire sacrifice. Elijah then goes on to kill all of the prophets of Baal. I am not endorsing this, by the way. This is Old Testament. 
And then on top of that, Israel had been in a famine for three years. And so he not only does that, now he gets down on his knees and starts praying for rain. And then rain comes, the famine ends, and, and Elijah, he, he, tells, he tells the king, you, you better, it's King Ahaz, he tells him, you better get off the mountain because the rain is coming, and there's a, there's a flood and a storm that's on its way. And so the, the king, King Ahaz, he gets in his chariot and starts driving away, and then Elijah starts running, and he outruns him to the city. I mean, this is, this is an A-plus day, everybody. Like, this is, in the, in the science and wonders department, you, this is, is going to be a tough one to beat. And then what happens is King Ahaz, his wife Jezebel, Ahab, sorry, thanks. That's, that's my concordance over there. <clears throat> the, uh, his wife Jezebel, she hears about all of this, and she says, I'm going to kill him. And Elijah, and, okay, you just took on like 800 prophets. You outran a chariot. Fire came down from heaven, and one woman threatens your life. What, like, what's the proportionate response? Well, yeah, go for it, lady. Let's see what happens. No. Elijah... He, he, he's absolutely devastated that Israel doesn't repent after this event. He's devastated that, uh, like, how much more obvious of a sign from heaven can you get? And he just gives up, and he's discouraged. And it says that he, it says, I'm going to pick this up in 1 Kings chapter 19. It says, he journeyed into the desert for one day and decided to rest beneath the limbs of a broom tree. And there he prayed that his life would be over quickly and that he would die there beneath the tree. This is like the day after he's watched fire fall from heaven, his enemies destroyed before him, that a three-year famine has ended, and he wants to die. He's discouraged. His, he's having some identity issues at this point. He says, Elijah says, I'm finished, eternal one. Please end my life here and now. Even though I have failed, I am no better than my ancestors. And then Elijah laid himself down under the broom tree and entered a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, a heavenly messenger came and touched him and gave him instructions. And he said, get up and eat. And Elijah looked and found a bread cake sitting over charcoal near his head. And it was also, there was also a jar of water. And he ate the food and he drank the water. And then he laid back down. The eternal messenger visited him again, touched him and gave him more instructions. Get up and eat. Your journey ahead is great and you need plenty of nourishment. And then Elijah got up, he ate the food and drank the water. His body felt strong again. So then he journeyed uh, just quickly. He went to Mount Horeb. Uh, Horeb, where that's where the Ten Commandments were received. And as he got there, he walked into the cave and rested for the night. The Eternal One to Elijah said, Why are you here, Elijah? What is it that you desire? And Elijah, as you know, all my passion has been devoted to the Eternal One, the God of heavenly armies. The Israelites have abandoned your covenant. 
with them. They have torn down every single one of your altars. They have executed by the sword all those who prophesy in your name. I am the last remaining prophet, and now they seek to execute me as well. And the eternal one, God says to to Elijah, leave the cave and go stand on the mountainside in my presence. And the eternal passed by him and the mighty wind separated the mountains and crumbled every stone before the eternal. This was not a divine wind for the eternal was not in within this wind. And after the wind passed through an earthquake shook the earth. This was not a divine quake for the eternal was not within the earthquake. And after the earthquake was over, there was a fire, and this was not a divine fire, for the eternal was not within this fire. And after the fire died out, there was nothing but the sound of a calm breeze. And through this breeze, a gentle, quiet voice entered into Elijah's ears. He covered his face with his cloak, and he went to the mouth of the cave, and suddenly Elijah was surprised. God wasn't in the, in the fire. He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the wind, but he was in the calm breeze, the the gentle voice, the gentle and quiet voice. And this is a, there's a great lesson here. Elijah, if we were to describe what Elijah was going through, we would call it burnout. Elijah was burnt out. You know, he had seen some great things happen, but his internal reserves were gone. His internal strength was depleted. He, he had run out of what he needed to keep going. He, he, just, he had just had success of biblical proportions. And yet he's discouraged. The external circumstances were not enough. And there's some very practical reasons why Elijah was burnt out. The first, I, I find the most interesting of, of, this, of this whole process, the first thing was he had failed to take care of his body. He had failed to take care of his physical body. What's the first thing that the messenger does, that the angel does to Elijah? It says, you need to eat. You know, so it's, it's terrible to say, but sometimes our solutions, they, they actually just start with something really practical. We just, you know what? Skip by McDonald's and go grab yourself a salad. I didn't get very many amens there. That was just, <laughs> got really, pretty, pretty sure I heard, heard the first cricket of 2021. <laughs> Second reason that Elijah got burnt out is he had put his faith in an outcome. He had put his faith in an outcome. He thought if, if God answers by fire on the top of this mountain, and the, the, the challenging of these, uh, of these two gods is settled once and for all. This is going to settle. Uh, this is going to settle Israel. This is going to get us back on the path of rightness for our nation. And it didn't happen. And like so many of us, we put, we put our faith in a certain outcome or a certain situation that, that if God is with me, this will turn out a certain way. And then it doesn't. And then we begin to wonder, is God even with us? You know, you can have, you can have a top-level experience this week and be totally discouraged next week because our faith isn't in experiences. 
We don't get our identity out of, out of our experiences. And as we see the, 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 the wind and the earthquake and the fire, God wasn't in those things. Those things are still real, but that's not where, that's not where we get our identity from. This is not where we get immunity from the who completes me disease. And the last thing is Elijah had failed to cultivate the right, the right relationships in his life. We see him in discouragement. We see him kind of venting to God, and, and he's, he's discouraged, and, and basically he just says to God, I'm the only one. Everybody else is gone. I am the only one left. And, you know, there's, there's times in your life where you feel like you're, you're taking on the challenges of life. Sometimes you feel like, I'm alone. I am by myself. I have nobody supporting me. I have no one with me. I want to tell you right now, that's actually wrong. But there's times we start living our, our lives in a way where we become unaware of those that are around us. And we become unaware of, that, of, of, of what God, or of the people that God has placed around us. And in trying to do everything himself, Elijah was actually robbing himself of the strength that comes from others. I'll just let that sit with you for a minute. Elijah was doing great things for God, but he needed to hear God. And, to, and, and, and for God to fix this, God had to do some, a, a very significant thing in Elijah's life. He had to get him to a place where he was able to hear the quiet, gentle voice of God. And so the first thing he did was, what did he do? He took him to the wilderness. He took him to the place of solitude. He took him to this place where the distractions of life were gone. And, you know, when the wilderness, it's a place of solitude. It's a place, it's not a place of isolation, but it is a place of aloneness. And it's a place where we start to learn to hear God above the noise of the world around us. We start to hear God above the earthquake, above the wind, above the fire. And there's consequences in our lives to not learning solitude. I like this. This is from the, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, where the author says this, when we don't practice this soul habit of solitude, we reap the consequences. We feel distant from God. We feel distant from ourselves. We lose sight of our identities and callings. We get sucked into the tyranny of the urgent, not the important. We feel an undercurrent of anxiety that rarely, if ever, goes away. The sense that we're always behind, always playing catch-up, and never done. Then we get exhausted. We wake up, and our first thoughts are, already? I can't wait to go to bed. We lag through our days, our low-grade energy on loan from our stimulants of choice. Even when we catch up on our sleep, we feel a deeper kind of tired. Then we start to turn to escapes. We run out of energy to do what's actually life-giving for our souls, like prayer, and instead we start turning to cheap fixes, another glass of wine, a new show streaming online, our social media feeds, porn, or other escapist behavior. We become easy prey for the tempter, just furthering our, our sense of distance from God and our souls. 
And then deep emotional unhealth sets in. We start living from the surface of our lives, not the core. We become reactionary. The smallest thing becomes a trigger. A throwaway line from a or a, a throwaway line from the boss, or a snide comment from a coworker, or a suggestion from a, a spouse or roommate. It doesn't take much. We lose our tempers. We bark at our kids. We get defensive, sulk, feel angry, sad, or both. Solitude is where we find our identity. Solitude is where we learn to hear God about who we are. Through church history, most of the master teachers of following Jesus have agreed that silence and solitude are among the most important of all spiritual practices. And I think in our generation, we have hardly heard about it. We've hardly heard about it. And in our generation, of all generations, that needs silence and solitude. We have noise 24-7. Like, 100 years ago or 200 years ago, when you had to go buy food from the market, you had to walk there. That gave you, and there was no radio or podcast. Or Instagram, me going for grain. (laughs) Getting groceries was literally an all-day event. Silence and solitude came natural to the generations that came before us. So how do we find strength in solitude? How do we find strength in solitude? Well, the first thing we see is, is God just tells Elijah, you got to take care of yourself, man. Like, get up, eat the food, drink the water, and take a nap. And then he tells him, do it again. Because you need more than once. Take care. You know, and phys- I want to... It doesn't really fall under the spiritual disciplines, but physical health and physical fitness actually set the foundation for spiritual growth. They set the, the, they set the, the foundation because they, you know, it's, it's, I, I actually believe it's, it's a part of the, that journey of solitude that as we, because the, the journey to health is actually somewhat of a solitary journey. You have to decide yourself that you're going to be healthy. Now, we, we eat as, as a group, we eat as, as a community, but the commitment to eating healthy is actually a solitary commitment. It's something that each person has to make for themselves. The journey to physical health, it's a solitary commitment. We do it with others, but it actually has to originate in us. We have to, and so I, I believe it's a part of this solid, this commitment to solitude is, it, it starts, but with, with our physical frames being healthy. There's so much more, um, you know, just in uh, the ability to pull from, from strength and energy. There's so much more available when we're healthy. The, uh, that might be a message for another day. The, uh, the second thing is allow, in solitude, is allow the silence to calm your spirit. Allow the silence to calm your spirit. 
You know, Elijah, like many of us, judged his progress from his activities. He was judging, he was judging his, his worth from his results. And so even though he had results in some areas, we never have results in all areas. We never have things perfect on all fronts. And if our identity is based on how perfect we are or how the results are, we're actually setting ourselves up for discouragement. You know, the, the, the Western version of the gospel is kind of this. If we serve God properly, then we should be successful in all things. It's true. It's kind of a westernized version of Christianity. But yet, if you, if you really read the scriptures, there's a thread of suffering through the whole Bible. There's, there's, Jesus didn't say, if you name me Lord and Savior, you'll be trouble-free. What he said is, the world's going to hate you, and some of you will die for it. <laughs> Who wants to give their life to Jesus right now? Just, the world will hate you, and some of you will die for it. What I find really funny is he actually said they will by no means be able to harm you. And then in the next sentence he says, but some of you will die. <laughs> Wait a minute. You just said they can't harm me. Now you're saying I'm going to die. Well, God being good has nothing to do with whether we're suffering or not. See, if the only time we perceive God as good is if we're, we're, we're free from suffering, there's going to be lots of times that we're going to think God's not good. But when we suffer, God's still good. And he still wants to do good things in our life. But our Western version of suffering needs to change. God had to remove Elijah from the activity so he could speak to him about his perspective. This is what solitude gives us a chance to do. It gives us the chance to get removed from the activity so that God can actually deal with our hearts and our lives. Okay, well, I'm halfway through my notes, and I have two minutes left. <laughs> you know, we have this modern disease, or maybe it's better to say dis-ease, is we have these routines and practices that are continually moving us from a place of joy, relationship, and connection to a place of noise, frustration, and isolation. And it's kind of a, it, it is definitely a modern thing. It, it is a phenomena that no generation before us has experienced. In fact, there's one, one uh, researcher talks about this, in, he, he calls it the technological generation, he calls it iGen, those, those that are born after 1995, although I would argue this effect is happening with everybody that is being influenced by technology. And he says this, there's a shocking uptick in psychological health issues in this group with a higher percentage of depression, suicide, eating disorders, homesickness, and above all, anxiety. Another term for what iGen is suffering from is solitude deprivation. A lack of time away from screens and input from outside sources, which is crucial for processing emotions, reflecting on relationship, and what's important in life, and giving the brain a chance to find calm clarity. This isn't even a Christian writing this. 
He's saying our generation is lacking solitude. We need solitude. God speaks to us in places of solitude, in silence. And when our lives are filled with constant buzzing and noise and, and what's going on around us, the media and the technology, we never get centered. In fact, I would compare it to, um, I would compare it to physical hun hunger in the sense that if you snack on junk food all day, you'll never actually crave healthy food. And that's what the, the, the technology world around us is like the, in, in our generation. It's like junk food for our soul, but it's available all the time. And so what happens is if we get in the habit of just being consuming that continually, what happens is we don't actually get hungry for the true things that we need because we've satisfied ourselves with chips and chocolate bars spiritually. And the last... Last thing to learn in, in solitude is listen before you talk. And it's basically, it's just, don't go to God and talk to him first. Go to him and listen to him first. Open the scriptures and ask him, what would you teach me today? What do you have for me to learn today? And then the last thing, this is the last thing is allow the gentle and quiet voice to lead you back to a place of healthy connection. To address Elijah's aloneness, God had to get Elijah alone. To address the, the issue of isolation that Elijah was feeling, God actually had to isolate Elijah and get him into solitude in the wilderness so that he could speak to him so he leads him on this journey, and basically he leads him on this whole journey. The purpose of this journey was to say this, Elijah, you're complaining that you're alone. There's no one else. Everybody's given up. But actually there's 7,000 others that I have set aside for, this, for the same purpose of you. And then he says, I want you to go pursue this specific relationship. It was a, the re relationship with Elisha who became... The, he became the inheritor of Elijah's mantle of a prophet. He says, it's 1 Kings 19, verse 15. He says, he says to Elijah, I want you to go back the same way that you got here, but I want you to continue on, and there, there you will find 7,000 who have not bowed. He's telling him, you're not alone. It's just your, pe your perspective is messed up. Go find this man named Elisha. And he goes, and we know from the Bible, he's, he remains, he remains in, in friendship with Elisha the rest of his life. And there was, he, see, what God does in us in the solitude is he, give us, he gives us that, he gives us those directions to the life-giving connections that we need. This is where we discover, as we're in, in that place of solitude, he begins to, to speak to us about what, where our time should be going, what people we should be connecting to, because things become clear. The noise begins to go down, the fire, the earthquake, the wind, it all dies. And we start to hear the quiet, gentle voice of God speaking to us. You see, nobody completes us 
except Jesus. But without others, we remain incomplete. Nobody can complete me. But without others, I'm, in, I'm incomplete. I need the right relationships. And those relationships, they don't come from the fire, the wind, and the earthquake. They come out of the gentle voice as we begin to hear God together, as we, get, we begin to unite our lives together. We find those life-giving connections. And in a season where we've been isolated, we don't have to be alone. We can still pursue good connections. And in a season where we've been isolated, many of us have been isolated but not experiencing solitude. And I believe that God wants, I believe that in this season, he wants to teach us how to solitude as a generation. Teach us how to return back to being able to hear the quiet, gentle voice as he's speaking to us about who we really are, who his church really is, and how you fit in it, how you fit with those around you. Let's stand up. We can just bow our heads. Father, I just pray for, I just pray for all of us in this season that we would not lose sight of what you want to do. You have a purpose in every season. And we are in a unique season and we want to experience the benefit of the unique season that we're in. We want to experience what you want to do on us in this season and not just fill, fill our lives with more noise and more earthquakes and fires and winds. But we want to learn and hear your quiet, gentle voice in this season. And Father, as we hear your voice, I pray that we would hear your call back to connection. For those that, for those that have, been, got, have been isolated alone, that, that there is a call back to connection with others. There's a call back to connection to your purpose. There's a call back to connection with your quiet, gentle voice. And whether we're in this room or we're watching online, that call is the same. You're calling us to be connected to you and to others. And Father, I just pray that as we, as we go from this place, that we would, we would go with an awareness of where you want us to be connected, of the things that where the noises have drowned out your voice and where we can just allow you to speak to us again. And I want to just pray one more prayer, and it's, it's a prayer saying yes to the purpose of, of Christ. It's a, it's a prayer saying yes to following him. And if, if you're maybe watching online right now or you're in this room with us here today, the invitation from Jesus is an invitation to follow him. And I want to just encourage you, you know, the only way you get to discover the life that Jesus has for you is to actually follow him into that life. And the invitation to him today is to come and follow him. And if you're here or you're watching right now and you're saying, I would like to discover this life that Jesus has for me, you can just all pray after me as I pray, Jesus, I want to follow you. Would you speak to me about my future, about my life? I want to know your purpose.
I receive your forgiveness and the new heart that you've offered me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Awesome, you guys. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.